my job today to introduce your soon-to-be favorite podcaster. At least your favorite podcast when you're on a trip that's a little longer than usual and you've already burned through all the new episodes of your other favorite podcast. She's soon to be your new favorite podcaster. She's a woman who's accomplished many things in her life. She's published a novel. She served in the U.S. military. She's owned her own business. She started numerous blogs, one of which almost had three postings. And she's got a problem with cursing, but she's working on it. She'll steal your heart while she's stealing your Wi-Fi. She's the mother of my children and the yin to my yang. And truly, hopefully, your yang as well. Ladies and gentlemen, my wife, Crystal Petrello. Hello, welcome to Food, Faith, and Family. My name is Crystal Petrello. I'm a registered dietitian, a complete foodie, a curvy mama, and a Christian. And today, I get to speak with you about not just surviving as a parent, but thriving as a person. I have to preface here, if you have a Santa-loving child in your car that believes in fantasies and miracles and Rudolph and reindeer, you're gonna want to turn this off now because this ain't the time or the place for little ears to be listening. I'm going to repeat PA announcement. Do not let little ears that believe in Santa and the magic of Christmas and reindeer listen to this podcast. countdown to the 25th has begun. All the schools are closed. The houses are decorated. Mom is planning the big dinner. I have a white elephant party tonight with my friends and we might go do some singing. There's extra services at the temple and we mark the days of this festive season by lighting candles. After all, it is 130 BC and Julius Caesar has declared Saturnala, the holy festival of worship, as we worship the harvest god Saturn on the winter solstice, December 25th. Did it sound like I was telling a story about current events? The question that we talk about about today that weighs on my mind as a parent, as a Christian, and my love of history is where do pagan, Christian, and now secular, not necessarily pagan, lines blur? Why are Christian traditions steeped in former pagan culture? When do we forget what we call the reason for the season and get so wrapped up in traditions that we don't focus on the cross that he eventually had to bear? First, let's talk about why and how current traditions have roots in historical and thankfully dead pagan culture. Originally, Christmas actually had nothing to do with Christianity at all. It wasn't even called Christmas. One might say that it was a ploy to win converts 
from paganism over to Christianity. As humans, we are designed to want to celebrate and to want to party. In fact, if you hear about some of these traditions we have now, we think about, well, it makes sense that these cultures would assimilate into their new religion uh, some of the harmless, what we call physically, spiritually harmless traditions that they had when they worshipped another god. For instance, during the Yule Festival in the Nordic area, in what we would call more the Scandinavian area now, they would have the Yule Festival. It was cele- They celebrated the return of the sun, the actual physical sun uh, in the sky, and Odin, and they and they worshiped them. So mistletoe was hung as a symbol of restoring of life in pr- pagan traditions. God designed humans to want to celebrate, to want to have fun. In fact, through the whole Old Testament, God declares times when we should be celebrating and celebrating in his name and in his blessings. But if you don't have the God of the universe and you were a pagan, they wanted to celebrate too. We talk about that God-shaped hole in the Christian faith, and they wanted to celebrate too. For instance, in Nordic tradition, they would have the Yule Festival. This is when they celebrated the return of the sun, the sun in the sky, and Odin was worshipped. The whole idea was, thankfully, those dark, long nights that you get in the way north of Scandinavia were finally going to start going away, and we were going to see the sun more. So mistletoe was hung, and it was said to restore life in pagan traditions as we welcomed spring coming soon and the longer daylight hours. They decorated fir trees to honor family and ancestors. They had wreaths of evergreen that they would put figures of the Norse gods on. Is any of this sounding familiar to you? So when King Haukan, the first, the first Christian king of these Nordic lands, made it mandatory to go to this Yule festival, he was not calling them to worship Odin and have festivals to Odin. He was actually calling them to make it a, to turn this festival into a large conversion to Christianity. So this is the perfect example that they took something pagan and they were taking the traditions. And although this is a very strong point made that it was used actually as a mission trip of sorts, we see that as time went on, Christianity picked up on on all of these old traditions Minus, of course, you know, any sacrifices and human sacrifices that might have been made in any of these past pagan religions. We always want to go back to the Bible. We want to reference back to what God actually says about our celebrations. And God specifically says he will not be worshipped like any other God in Deuteronomy 12. 
God commands all of this after the Israelites were to destroy all of the pagan worship places in the promised land that they are about to enter. Not only are they supposed to destroy them, but in verse 3 of chapter 12, it says, wipe out their names, the pagan gods' names, as if they never existed. I don't want you thinking about them. I don't want you to... I don't want you to have anything to do with, with the past pagan presence in this land. So God, through Moses, further instructs them in verse 4. This is the New International Version. You must not worship the Lord your God in their way. God further instructs his people to follow the traditions and the customs that he's laid out for his people to include, most importantly, giving God all the worship, all the glory through offerings, sacrifices, and tithes. But he continues this and he says, I want you to celebrate though. This is meant to be a time of celebration and eating as you remember the blessings I have bestowed upon you. I have freed you after 400 years of slavery. I have provided for you. Even when you have done so many wrong things as we do, I have forgiven you. You are my chosen people and I am providing for you. What we see throughout the whole Old Testament, though, is our God, Yahweh God, wanting us to refuse other gods and celebrate him and his blessings. This is generally the human condition, as we know, refusing the flesh and living in the Holy Spirit. Historically, I can see why Christians were desiring to celebrate until Constantine, the first Christian Roman ruler, there wasn't much partying or celebration for Christian and what used to be previous Jewish Christians and and their customs because of persecution. If we refer back to the story about Saturnella in the Roman area, if we look at the Yule Festival in the Nordic culture in northern Scandinavia, we see all of these traditions and we see that the goal to harmonize these pagan religions and cultures with Christian and Christian beliefs for conversion, the goal to appeal to those from other traditions by creating alternative holidays. Okay, so we're Christians. We don't want to be all bah humbug about current traditions. Obviously, we're not pagan, but these seem harmless. And I would have to agree that I'm not going to not have fun at Christmas. I am definitely going to partake in my usual festivities with the large Italian family that I married into. I love opening a good present. Who doesn't? I love a great candlelight service at church. That's one of my favorite memories from growing up a live living nativity. Think about all these things that involve enjoying the blessings of maybe a little bit too much food, more family than maybe we can bear at times, but there are family and that's our favorite kind of food. And then we get to go to church and we get to show our children 
and have one time during the year that we really focus on the fact that God sent his only child as a baby. I mean, my four-year-old, that has got to blow her mind. That The God of the universe, which it's not going to blow her mind because she's four. Let's get real. Her Barbie she's getting for Christmas is going to blow her mind. But as she gets older, she's going to, I pray, if we're consistent in the way we raise our kids, I pray that my children see that God was a man. He came as a baby from humble beginnings, that he had the equivalent of food stamps, and mom was on wick, and she was young and pregnant, and a little scared and embarrassed because of what was happening in the circumstances stances around it. As we get older, and for some of us who've had children, clearly that's what this podcast is about and who it's for, could you imagine riding on a donkey when you can't even ride an airplane at eight or nine months pregnant, let alone at three months and being nauseous? I'm in awe of how God took these type of circumstances and allowed these circumstances to happen to show us how incredibly big he is. That above all, with Herod wanting to kill Jesus, with the Magi coming to worship him, with all the dreams that had to take place, with all of the innkeepers being out of a place for them to stay, that underneath their breath, I wonder how much Mary and Joseph wondered, God, this better be worth it. That's what I've been thinking, would have been thinking, but I also haven't seen an angel face to face yet. But through all those hardships, they raise the God of the universe in flesh. And I pray that that's what my children see through these holidays. I pray that that's what I remember, what you remember through these holidays, not just the Pinterestable Christmas tree, not focusing on getting the perfect gifts, not focusing so much on those things that we forget to slow down and truly show our children the reason for the season through our actions, through our pocketbooks, through our tithing, our giving, and our volunteering. With all of that being said, we have reflected on past pagan traditions that we have seen have bled into our culture and have created a lot of what we currently do today. But we know a lot of these things, they have told stories that make them a little different, that make them more Christian, like you hear about the Christmas tree as being described as having three points, like a triangle, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, that that's why we use the Christmas tree. We see that the original Advent wreath was created in Germany by a Lutheran minister working with children. He took a wheel of a cart. He added some evergreen to it to represent eternal life. He described the circle of this wheel as God's unending love. 
the red decoration and the holly and the berries that was also added to this wreath that we still add to wreaths today was an example of Jesus's sacrifice and death for us. And the pine cones were further described as new life in Christ. Essentially, this Lutheran minister created a walk down Romans road through this wreath. I mean, this is brilliant. I'm going to tell my children the story. I want to make one of these wreaths. So as we've taken old traditions that were pagan and we add new meanings to them that my children are never going to probably know what the old meanings are because they're myths if they do hear about them. And I'm going to make sure that we create new traditions at home that are wholesome, that are God-loving and God-fearing as we worship Christ during this time of blessing and just being able in festivities. So let's take a look at some of the most recent traditions. And I would love to hear, dear listeners, what are some new traditions that you find appealing or appalling depending on your experience with them. My perfect example of this is Elf on a Shelf. My perfect example for me is Elf on a Shelf. What a delightful way to help your children become paranoid that some inanimate object that apparently gets mischievous at night and creates messes is now staring at them and reporting back to Santa. I've seen pictures that, although funny to me, Maybe not okay for my children for things that this elf is doing with a Barbie or is doing around my house. Now, the caveat I have to this is now how do we change this and what has been found to be culturally acceptable? And how do we actually do something good with it when you maybe have a husband who still wants to do some mischievous things with these elves? Well, I want a helping elf. My helping elf sits on the shelf all day and does not report back to Santa. But what he does is he thinks of ways throughout the holiday season that we can help our neighbors and we can help our family. And when we wake up in the morning, maybe my helping elf is sitting next to a bowl and some flour and all the ingredients needed to make cookies for my neighbors. But every once in a while, because, you know, humans are, can be a little mischievous, he does make mistakes and he might make a mess and create some type of creativity that my husband would like to be able to do, but I'm not that creative in those ways. So I'll make the, I'll make the crafts with the kids. He can make the chaos. Doesn't that sound about right? So that is kind of how I view the elf on the shelf, harmless as long as used properly. But what are some other things? Um, Making cookies, this pickle ornament situation, uh, writing letters to Santa, how far do we take the myth in the story? Tour neighboring light displays, which can be fine and fun, 
But if you're an, an environmentalist, how far does that go? But on top of that, it focuses more on the season and not the reason. The matching pajamas idea. I love matching pajamas. I'm actually a sucker for like adorable pajamas anyways. So I do this. But they cost me at least $100 every year to buy for a family of four. And that's on the low end if I'm buying the cheaper ones. So there's that. Advent gifts. Advent calendars where my kids get 25 days of little gifts before they get their big gifts leading up to it. What about the gingerbread house that sits around and possibly attracts ants and God knows what else in our homes? What about this opening? Like, you can't wait in so much anticipation. You get to open a gift the day before, like on Christmas Eve. Like, these hot traditions now, I wonder what is the real reason for them and how can we utilize them to actually teach a good message? Now, I'm not one of those, like, everything has to be quote-unquote Christianized or biblicalized or whatever you want to say. But at a certain point, we've gotten a little crazy. I mean, it's fun. I have a crazy, ridiculous ornament that I'm going to be putting on a family member's tree and they got to find it this year. Like, those are fun things. It doesn't all have to be hyper-Christian all the time. I'm fun. But at what point do we cross this line of completely missing the purpose, the message, and most importantly, the opportunity to share with our children and our family what the real reason for this season is? So I beg of you, when you are at Whatever department store you like to go to, like for me, it's TJ Maxx, and you go to get really frustrated because the line is so long, relax. There is a reason God placed you in this place at this time. There is a reason that God placed you on the earth at this time, let alone that place. So as everybody gets frazzled and sweating and Pinterestable out, remember that the whole real reason is to give you an opportunity of little bits along the way to share the love of Christ with others. I wish you all an amazing season. I wish you a wonderful new year and a little teaser Next episode, which was going to drop around the new year, is going to be about the difference between goals, resolutions, and which ones actually work. La, 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 la.